0: crystal clear digital sound and listen online at WMUZ.com. It's nine o'clock and the WMUZ life and finance team is on the air to make sure we're all headed in the right direction. We at WMUZ have assembled a team of experts and every night a different expert is here to give advice about the issues that impact your life. We hope you find the information on today's program to be inspiring. and Dr. Jamie Kramer on your weekly checkup.
1: It's Tuesday night, that means it's time for your weekly checkup with Dr. Kramer and Dr. Lazar. This is the show dedicated to helping you live an extraordinary life. Our goal tonight is to give you hope, help you live with more energy, and help you experience health like never before. Welcome to your weekly checkup. It is so great to be back with you. For those of you who have been um, injured in the very, very common downpour of snow, shoveling experiences, and all of you are hurting and in tons of pain, we have just the solution for you. Our number is 866 521 9355 and before we get into a very heated topic and discussion tonight we do want to tell those of you low back sufferers from uh the the snow shoveling incidents to give us a call and come on in WMUZ listeners are phenomenal people we have so much fun meeting you and you're all entitled to a complimentary consultation
2: Yes, I think that's great, Dr. Lazar. This is Dr. Kramer in the house tonight. I am so excited to be here. We have a hot show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, vaccines since it's a, it's a big, hot topic right now. We're also, like Dr. Lazar was saying, we have been hit with a ton of snow lately, and uh, we are two upper cervical chiropractors that um, help get your spine into alignment to help that low back pain and shoveling soreness go away. So we have offices in Ann Arbor and in Troy, and you can come in and speak with us and there's no charge to come in and see us and uh, let us, and we'll let you know if we can help you or not. Number one and two thing we see in our office is neck pain and headaches number two is low back pain and hip pain and boy have we been seeing that a lot lately with this foot of snow we've got so we're here not just on the radio but we also are there in our offices to help you and if you have any questions you can give us a call at 866-521-9355 and you can also use that number to get in contact with our Ann Arbor or our office. Again, 866-521-9355.
1: Well, Facebook has been blowing up over the last several weeks, for sure. Um, People have been talking about this measles outbreak in Disneyland. And and the pro-vax side is saying, oh, it's because of all these idiots that haven't vaccinated. And the anti-vax side is saying, no, it's because of all these idiots that have vaccinated. And your kids are the ones that were carrying the virus, you know, from the MMR vaccines. And so here we go. Thanks, guys, for all that. And it is hot. People are um, just just going crazy over this and we were fielding a lot of stuff on facebook very heated very strong opinions and um people were, so finally we just decided, you know what, let's do it. Let's, let's bring it out here. Let's do it on the air and make sure that, uh, you know, both sides are heard. Here's what I will tell you. I think it's very important to know who you're listening to. Okay. And so, um, I'm going to, I'm going to open the floor up with my own personal, uh, educated opinion. This is, this is the conclusion that I have come up with. My conclusion is that is not that you should be pro or anti-vaccine. I think either of those is completely extreme and I think it makes no sense. What I do think is ridiculous is that people um, make an educated decision. It is your responsibility to take care of yourself and your children and your parents and grandparents if you're in charge of caring for them. And it is absolutely, absolutely Um, Your responsibility to know what it is that you're doing. So, you know, um, the um, people say, well, you know, that means that you're an anti-vaccine person. That's not true. I just, I just am saying, don't go in and blindly have your pediatrician stab your kid in the arm. Like, Pay attention to what's going on, you know. if you Some people say, well, I'm going to do a reduced schedule. Some people say I'm not going to do it at all. Some people say I'm only going to do it if we're going to go overseas because that is what really increases the risk. But other than that, we're going to really spell out, um, you know, what's going on, and uh, hopefully you can make your own informed decision.
2: Well, you know, just like how you were talking about the measles, um, I just want to point out a really, really amazing stat about that. There has been zero deaths due to measles in the past 10 years in the United States. Zero. But there's been 108 deaths due to the measles vaccine. Okay. Absolutely. And you can look, and that's according to the VARS database. That's the V-A-E-R-S. You can just Google it, and you can see it yourself. And the CDC. So that's an educated decision, right? We have to look at the risk versus the reward. Would you agree?
1: I would. Absolutely. I mean, the idea is nobody is ever suggesting that you just don't pay any attention and you uh, just blindly, you know, do something the the challenge is here's we've got to look at the facts. I mean, that that's the most important thing. Um, There is a uh, for example, before we talk about any specific vaccines or risks or benefits of those vaccines, I think it's important for the public to realize that there is a Federal Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the VICP. It's the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And what that has done is it's made it so that suing the vaccine manufacturer or the doctor um, who gave the vaccine uh, or you know who was on staff when the vaccine was given, um, it gives them uh, financial compensation for medical care, pain, suffering. Uh, is out of the question from getting that from the vaccine manufacturer or from the doctor. Congress and the Supreme Court have banned vaccine product liability and vaccine injury malpractice lawsuits in the United States. So as a result, vaccine injury claims are awarded or denied by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services officials using U.S. Department of Justice um, attorneys or adjudicated by special masters in the U.S. Court of Federal Claims. So that was created because in, by Congress in 1986 under the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act because vaccine manufacturers threatened to stop producing vaccines if they weren't protected from vaccine injury lawsuits. Okay? So if vaccines are safe, then why in the world would there be a vaccine injury compensation program? And it was created as an alternative to a civil court lawsuit giving partial liability protection to vaccine manufacturers, pediatricians, and the other vaccine providers from civil liability or injuries and deaths caused by federally recommended childhood vaccines. So, they would say um, that, okay, we're going to stop manufacturing these if you don't protect us. If the injury party was denied compensation or dissatisfied with the amount of the award, they could then go to a civil lawsuit, but it it had to go there. So then in 2011, um, the drug companies uh, convinced the Supreme Court with majority rule that federally licensed and recommended vaccines are, and this is a quote right from the court case, unavoidably unsafe. The words are unavoidably unsafe and that the vaccine injury compensation program should be the sole remedy for all vaccine injury claims. So if you missed that, the point is, is that they were they are unavoidably unsafe. That's directly from the manufacturers of these vaccines. And the government says, okay, that's fine. We're going to set up a separate court so that all of the vaccine injuries and deaths can be compensated through that. That has to tell you something.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember when I first read about that, and I was blo- it was blown away by that information. And you know, they're they're protecting themselves. And you know, back in the eighties when they came up with that, that was also when the skyrocket of many vaccines actually occurred, and multiple multiple new ones were actually developed after that because it protected the the, the liability of the people delivering the vaccine. So it's it's amazing.
1: I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that's very powerful. Okay, so we have a call. Uh, Dr. Branshaw, welcome to your weekly checkup.
3: Hi, how are you, John? Thanks Doing for great. having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for calling in. So um, I saw some of the uh, conversation that you were having with a uh, chiropractor friend of yours and was was very impressed by your um your professionalism in the, in the conversation. So um, why don't you tell our callers what your credentials are, what you do for work, and then feel free to weigh in on what your thoughts were.
3: Sure. So I, um, I am currently a cardiology fellow, but uh, I worked as a general internist for about two years uh, before doing starting my cardiology fellowship. Um, and so basically I'm, I am pro-vaccination, and, um, I just want to discuss some of the, the data that's, uh, that you'd mentioned previously on the start of the show. So that VARES database, um, that you had discussed about, um, 108 deaths, uh, from the vaccination. Um, if you look at the VARES database, you'll notice that, uh, the way they developed their data was that, uh, the vaccination was given and then, There was a causation um, of the death at that time frame. Um, If you look at the first entry into that database, the patient had underlying diseases, mainly the patient was bacteremic, Um, and so I don't know if you can really say that those vaccinations caused death, there was just a timeline correlation, and there was no real evidence to suggest that that was the, the cause of death. And furthermore, with the civil lawsuits uh, and talking about how physicians are exempt from liability and things like that, that's because just because somebody sues a physician or a hospital or a vaccine manufacturer doesn't mean that the vaccine is ineffective or that there's issues with the vaccine. I mean, you know, we have frivolous lawsuits all the time. That just don't have any basis. And it's frustrating as a physician. And so I think, you know, in states like Texas and things where they have malpractice cap um, and tort reform, that that's kind of where that database drew from is that, you know, we have to get away from just frivolous lawsuits. And so it was putting a little bit of protection towards the doctors who were trying to make the best decision for their patients.
1: I can, you know, I can certainly uh, agree with you that frivolous lawsuits are, um, you know, that's not that's not the point of what uh, I mean, that should never be the case. So I, I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, but how would you, you know, how would you respond to the, uh, the, the huge rise of incidents in Guillain-Barre syndrome after flu vaccines are given? I mean, are you are you can you say that that's not an adverse reaction to the vaccine?
3: No, I'm saying that there are definitely adverse reactions to vaccines. There's adverse reactions to everything. I mean, when you get into your car in the morning, there's a possibility that you could get into a car wreck. But the risk of getting into a car wreck versus the benefits of going to work are far far outweighed. So it's the same thing with vaccinations. These vaccinations have risk, very, very minimal risk. And our goal as physicians is to basically decide which is higher, the risk of having an adverse reaction to this vaccine or the adverse reactions with possibly uh, the disease. And lo and behold, our job is to do that, and that's what we do. And so basically pro-vaccination is the way to go because the chances of having an adverse reaction from a vaccine versus having an adverse reaction from the disease is uh, far outweighed. Um, so, Guillain-Barre syndrome can happen with basically any disease. Uh, we mainly knew about guillain with a bacteria called Campylobacter jejuni, which is uh, a gastrointestinal disease that you can get, and that can cause But basically anything that you get can cause not just the vaccines, but the diseases themselves can do it too.
1: So the, you know, the... The Provax side is, uh, you know, clarify that a little more. So are you suggesting that kids get all, all vaccines, or people get all vaccines that are available? Do you suggest that people, um, that they are selective? Like, are there vaccines that you say, hey, people should absolutely get, the, the benefit way outweighs the risk? Or do you say, look, all vaccines provide benefit? That outweighs the risk there's there's no vaccine that has a higher risk than benefit ratio and so will i suggest all of them where, where are you on that
3: well um i do uh, i must admit i'm not because i'm in cardiology and i'm not dealing with pediatrics um and i'm not giving out you know some of these vaccines like hepatitis a i believe the recommendations were changed from uh, only if you were traveling to endemic areas across the world. To everybody is getting it now, um, right. but I think the, that those recommendations change as we find out more and more information. And so, you know, just as our, our information is evolving, um, I at this point I follow the CDC recommendations. And uh, there's actually an, an application on on your smartphone called SHOTS uh, with whatever year it is. So SHOTS 2014 uh, is the most uh, up-to-date one, and that basically tells you about each vaccination and uh, the schedule. So whatever the CDC recommends, I I personally am for that because they analyze these with large amounts of statistical data, and that's ultimately what my job is as a physician is to – Weigh the risks versus the benefits. And so when the CDC recommends it, that's that's, uh, that's based on large amounts of data, not just 100 patients or 150 patients or frivolous lawsuits, but thousands of epidemiologic studies.
2: Yeah, and I, I bet you those people that have those lawsuits don't find that they're very frivolous. I'm going to tell you that. So okay. I think that's kind of very, very misunderstanding to say. And I do definitely believe that, We want to look at the risk versus the benefit any day of the week. And it's amazing to me about how many vaccines are recommended for our children at such a small age, especially when the blood-brain barrier hasn't even been formed yet. And we're injecting these highly, you know, uh, potent vaccines into our children. It makes me want to vomit. So I think that I'm on the other side of the fence of that for sure. On, since especially since I have a child that I can't imagine, that, and everybody has their children that you can't imagine anything happening to, and for the for uh-huh. the parents and the children that I know, you know I you know we we're on uh, different sides of the fence, and we all want the best for humanity. At least that's what I would think you would want, and that's what we want, and we want the best for our for. Our, everybody that we love but at the same time there is definitely a huge rise in vaccines and why do we have a vaccine injury core i mean there's definitely some some risks with that like we're talking about and so i think it's important also to be looking at both sides of the coin and what are the risks and so that's what this mm-hmm. this is a great conversation for tonight
3: right and i i guess my rebuttal to that would be do you take a multivitamin on a daily basis
2: um, no, I yeah, actually I
3: do. Yeah, so in a multivitamin, there's lead, or excuse me, there's iron. It's an iron supplement as well, too. If you take too much iron, we know that you can have iron poisoning. So even though you're saying that there's these vaccinations that have toxic metals or heavy metals, um, our body uses a lot of these metals in small quantities. Well, actually, like that's not what I said. Copper.
1: What? Okay,
3: but well, but well, I think, what about... I think you said that there's mercury that can cross the
2: blood brain barrier, didn't you? Nope, I didn't. I said there's toxicity that can cross the blood brain barrier. I didn't use that as an example. That's what I was pointing out. Oh, I'm, and I'm I definitely take so my you know. my prenatal my prenatal vitamins since I am nursing. You know, I think that's really important and 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 healthy for an individual to do. But anything in excess right. is not good. We're aware of that. That's you know you know pretty common sense. But we don't want to, you know, it's just kind of like the whole thing of, you know, you don't want women that are pregnant to have canned tuna, right? Because you're like, oh, we're going to get high levels of mercury, but then go get a flu shot. It doesn't make any sense when there's can be mercury right. in the flu shots that people get. I mean, it just blows my mind. Right. Or there's let's you, give that to an infant that's got that in like there, you know?
3: There's and less than 50 micrograms sh- of mercury, but do you, I mean, do you eat fish when you're pregnant?
2: If Actually, I don't have fish, so that makes it nice. Okay. So I think it
3: easy, but there are a lot of people that do. But that's the and point that I'm getting at. Mm-hmm.
1: The, the challenge is, though, there might be 50 micrograms in one vaccine, but, I mean, 101 vaccines by six years of age is what the current recommendation is by the CDC. And so if it was just a single vaccine or two vaccines or something like that, I mean, the list of vaccines that kids are supposed to get, that's... That's what's so staggering to me. I mean, um, aluminum, uh, potassium sulfate in those thimerosal, mercury, those sort of things. They might be in small doses, but it. But when you add up how many vaccines these kids are are suggested, you know, to to receive, and so many of them are. That's the part, you know. That's the part that's so challenging. And then, I mean, we have to look at the whole. Th- th- there are there are a couple basic points on, on vaccines. Number one. Are they safe? I think that's, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about now. Um, you say yes, and, and, you know, I realize that you are, you know, you're educated. You're not just like somebody who just has an opinion. Um, but, I you know, I think I disagree with you on that, but that's okay. I mean, I think that the research is, is, the research I've seen is extremely compelling on how much stuff is in vaccines that we would never, ever, ever put in our, in our bodies or our kids bodies and if people know that they're in there and they're okay with that then again like that's completely on them mm-hmm. as long as they know that that's what's going on the other thing is does you know does the idea of artificial immunity actually work I mean when you're injecting a vaccine into the bloodstream of a person you know 80% of immunity occurs and back in you know immunological studies show that 80% of immunity occurs before anything enters the blood in the first place so mucous membranes, um, you know, skin being intact, that sort of thing. Those are all, you know, those are all part of it that we're missing when we're being injected. And so we can, I mean, we can break that out a little bit later. But then the idea is uh, herd immunity. You know, people say, well, okay, let's let's make sure that there's herd immunity. There's, I mean, statistically speaking, vaccines would have to be much more effective for herd immunity. And herd immunity requires that there be re-exposure um, you know, natural re-exposure to things. And because that doesn't occur because of the overabundance of vaccinations, kids are having to have, or people are having to have these boosters along the way. I mean, when we look at it, it's like, this is crazy. And then we can get into the financial side of things and the incentives. I just, the the point that we're making is that people have to take a serious look at this. And that's, and, you know, just so we're you understand you know, we're not on the radio saying you absolutely shouldn't do it. We're on the radio saying, "Look, here are some things you're probably not hearing. You need to know that um, people who are vaccinated, based on studies, and we have a ton of you know peer-reviewed articles. This is, none of this is just our opinion, but brain damage incidence goes up, allergies, asthma, gut problems go up, autoimmune diseases, chronic infections, mm-hmm. and there are even well, hold, on that though, show hold, hold on
3: though, John. Hold on though. You're, you're going on the radio and telling people, like, things as though, you know, there's been 108 deaths due to vaccination based on the VAERS database, but that's simply not true. I mean, if you look at that database, you go and see that they have bacteremia, and they got vaccinated. I would argue that if somebody is vaccinating somebody who's bacteremic with all these other conditions, and then they die, that that's, that's frivolous. That's, that's not well, it's just
2: care. it's it's just saying too that like when they give the stats on the flu death that the, that there's not pneumonia in that that stat and they're they're scaring everybody with flu when they they know that people are passing away from pneumonia. I mean, it's the same thing.
3: No, no, it's totally different. I mean, if somebody is strep pneumonia positive, which is a bacteria that causes pneumonia, the flu vaccination is not going to protect you against that. And if somebody is septic and extremely sick from strep pneumonia, bacteria, when you get a flu vaccination, you are not covered for that. You are strictly well. That's covered how they that's how they rate A
2: and B. Well, that's let how me, they put it together on the on the, on the this. flu.
1: This this might shed some light. So Johns Hopkins has a hospital patient information packet for care. Um, that they give to immunocompromised patients. So so you're saying, doc, that there are that hey, if people are already immunocompromised, you know, they shouldn't be given the vaccine, which agreed. I mean, that that makes perfect sense. But in in the pamphlet from Johns Hopkins, it says, tell friends and family who are sick or have recently had a vac- uh, re- had a live vaccine such as chickenpox, measles, rubella, um, influenza, polio, or smallpox, not to visit, Avoid contact with children who are recently, Vaccinated. So the point is, like, even even the people that aren't vaccinated are immunocompromised people are at higher risk. Be even just being around the people that are vaccinated like that. I think that needs to be addressed big time.
3: Well, that's true. When you're giving a live viral uh, vaccination, that's true. You are giving the patient a live virus. But. We used to use a live intranasal uh, flu vaccination. That's no longer being used. We now have uh, antigen and um, uh, antigen based vaccination for influenza. And, um, you know, when you go on and uh, when we look at this year, how we we claim that uh, the influenza was a myth, you know, because they uh, talk about uh, uh, antigen uh, drift and how they have to try to match what they think is the most effective flu vaccination. Um, That's still being an effective flu, because even when you get uh, immunized for, let's say, H3N2, um, and I don't know if you want to talk about that more on the radio for the listeners, but um, if you get vaccinated for H3N2, and the strain happens to be H2N2 that year, there's Probably some partial immunity. And in fact, uh, there was a study from Canada uh, with the measles uh, that showed that patients that had two doses of the measles vaccine versus zero or one dose definitely had a milder symptoms and less hospitalizations.
1: Um, well, the you know, certainly we appreciate you calling in. We are. You can uh, you can sit tight, kind of on the sides. We have a few other calls that we want to take. Um, but you know, I I appreciate your uh, your weighing in. And again, you know, what we're after is that is that people look into what they need to do. People make decisions based on facts, not fear. People um, assess the risk to benefit ratio. And so, your take is the benefits the vaccines are. They outweigh the risks, and we uh, we appreciate you sharing that. So thanks so much for calling in.
3: Correct. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate the time. It. You got
1: it. Have a great right. night. Right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to your weekly checkup with Dr. Kramer and Dr. Lazar. We are taking your calls live tonight, and we are discussing the, uh, the vaccine issue that's going on. And so um, it looks like we have Dr. Clearingbold on the line. Dr. Clearingbold, welcome to your weekly checkup. How are you doing, Doctor Zark? Doing great. Thanks for calling in. Are you, are you able to hear me? Okay. Yeah, you sound great. Okay, good. All right. So, uh, so yeah, so what is far it's been take? a very
3: interesting uh, conversation.
1: Good. Good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you think so. So,
2: what were your thoughts, Doc?
3: I'm sorry.
1: So, so go ahead. Go ahead with your with your thoughts.
3: Okay, well, I mean, there's quite a few things that have been discussed, uh, uh, you know, from the beginning, and, and I would just like to, you know, say that I, I'm calling in from Claire, Michigan, where uh, I'm an ophthalmologist uh, by training and uh, had also uh, done some work in family medicine before becoming an ophthalmologist, and, uh, you know, like the previous caller, I, I guess if if you, we have to put labels on things i would consider myself a, a pro-vaccination uh you know person as opposed to you know and i don't necessarily think anti-vaxxer is a is a good word you know either i agree 100 percent that you know things need to be looked at rationally and and parents need to make an educated guess um but when it comes to deciding whether something is good for the child versus fear you know I think most of the stuff being promoted you know and like I said I don't like to use the word anti-vaxxer I think that more plays on fears of of parents than the actual advice being given you know by physicians you know from my point of view I, I would trust what my pediatrician had to recommend you know not necessarily blindly I would hopefully you know expect that they would answer questions uh, that i would have about the vaccines but you know i don't know too many physicians or, or pediatricians especially that just blindly uh, vaccinate children or give any sort of treatment without uh, quite a bit of um, data to support doing that
1: so if so and i if would a, the...
3: agree with you know just quickly with that national childhood vaccine injury act i mean not so much of those vac- lawsuits were frivolous but the, the problem was the jury awards were way out of proportion for the the claims. And so many of the manufacturers, you know, were saying we need to, you know, rein in the liability because most of the claims were being made, uh, you know, from non-peer-reviewed uh, studies and basically, you know, uh, population uh, myths that were being, you know, bandied about, much like the autism myth. And so that's where that was. It wasn't to make it where you couldn't sue these people, but it was to give some sort of basis in fact, you know, when it came to awarding, uh, you know, the the results of the lawsuit.
1: So, so let me ask you just to... You know, just to address some specific things. So the Gardasil vaccine is a that has been you know in the last several months or so, a year or two, has been big in the news. And so I mean that's that uh, for our listeners is a vaccine that is given and it's touted to prevent cervical cancer. It's a vaccine against cervical cancer and it's recommended to um, boys and girls um, around the twelve year um, twelve year age is and and what they're based on the clinical data that's showing, um, it's being it was being touted as safe I think people have seen um, otherwise but in, in the there were in the clinical trials there were 102 serious adverse events and 17 deaths were reported during the clinical trials. Um, 9,700 adverse reactions were reported as of July 22nd, 2008 and so that was obviously a while ago. And the challenge with that is, um, you know, adverse reactions are extremely underreported. Like that's so, the numbers would likely be higher than that. But we can't. I mean, the data we have as of July twenty second, two thousand eight, says nine thousand seven hundred adverse reactions. So, how would you how would you respond to that?
3: I would respond that you know anything in a study that is reported is an adverse reaction. I mean, that can be as simple as the patient had a headache. Uh, after getting the vaccine. And it doesn't actually correlate that it was necessarily related to the vaccine. But when you are doing these studies, especially phase three clinical studies, everything must be reported. And so if you had a runny nose, if you you know had a headache afterwards, that would be reported as an adverse reaction, whether or not it was directly related to the vaccine or not. Now, are there some people that had serious adverse reactions. Yes, and those are re- reported in that as well. But again, the the studies with the Gardasil, you know, it, it becomes a risk-benefit ratio where you need to weigh the chances of getting an adverse reaction, which I would say are actually probably much lower than 9,000 as far as a serious adverse reaction compared to the millions of doses uh, that were given. But weighing that against the the problems that the vaccine is going to present you know prevent for example herpes simplex virus one you know the one that causes cold sores and things like that 85 percent of us are already positive for antigens for that uh, virus by the time we're five and it does not cause you know serious disease uh you know and rarely causes serious morbidity. so we do not develop a vaccine uh, to prevent that However, when the majority of cervical cancers uh, and, and some other uh, feminine cancers, and again, uh, you know gynecology is not my specialty, are related to this human papilloma virus that most males and females test positive for by the time they're they're sexually active, that's where we have to kind of weigh is a worthwhile Going through some of the adverse reactions to prevent you know cancers you know down the road yeah. that, that could be quite devastating to
1: the but patient. But i think pointing and out is I mean the, some of the adverse reactions would be like paralysis, blood clots, Guillain-Barré syndrome. We talked about on the last call, seizures. Mm-hmm. And then in that trial, twenty deaths. There were twenty deaths that occurred, and eleven of them occurred within a week of the vaccination, and seven of those occurred within two days. Um, because of blood clotting uh there was there was an 11 year old that died from anaphylactic reaction a 17 year old girl died the same day she was Uh vaccinated i mean we look at those things and then we say okay is this really is this really something that we i mean and then the the research was showing and i for the sake of time but i have it if people want it we can certainly um we can certainly you know get it to them but the research on it was was later. I mean, the whistleblower who was heading up the whole project came out later and said, "Look, it's really not even. It's really not even effective." It's, and so, when we look at something like that, I think we have to. Um, I just i I think what people don't realize is they go in thinking, "Hey, this is completely safe," and then they get sideswiped and and realize, "Wait a minute, this isn't what happened." I mean, there are tons of studies that are linking court cases, even that are linking. Yeah. This to you know. The well, MMR court cases, vaccines, yeah, because you can bring laws.
3: anything to court. You, you know, well, and if you're and, and, and if you're a parent to one of these average.
2: young women that die, you're not going to be a really happy camper, right? And that's what it comes down to: is the HPV really that dangerous to have that many deaths occur? No, it's really not. I I I'm I'm, I'm completely anti that 100. And I'm not anti all vaccines. I just want to make that really clear. But this one right. is and, crazy. I mean,
3: and, and, I don't think Gardasil is necessarily the best uh, you know uh, example for for this discussion especially with with the measles outbreak when we talk more about communicable diseases. And, and certainly is, not to make light of, of any adverse reaction, but yeah, but yeah there are going to be like some I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, and vaccines they they create a temporary increase in the antibodies for a particular disease, but it doesn't equate to immunity to a disease no matter what. So we have to be looking at the, like we've talked about the risk versus the benefit. And, it, and that's extremely important in, in the flu shot, for example. It's been the most rewarded in the court systems for adverse reactions. And they came out this year and said that the flu strain wasn't even effective, but still go get the flu shot. It just it boggles my mind that these pockets can be but so cheap. But still,
3: it, it still is effective. And, and the way that's being reported, uh, it kind of, you know, is a red herring or or throws people off it's still 45 to 50 percent effective so that means there's 45 or 50 percent less people uh, having serious reactions to the flu and and the flu can be quite deadly and much like you know measles and mumps we are generations removed from when these diseases used to sweep through and and cause an enormous amount of death in 1919 1920 the, the spanish flu you know, killed 20 million people, more than actual World War One as, as it went through. Uh, and people would have been lining up to get a, a flu vaccine at, at that time. You know, my parents had kids, you know, friends who were in iron lungs and, and were paralyzed. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, was paralyzed. And they remember summers of not being able to drink or swim in, in water. And when, you know, Jonas Salk developed the polio vaccine, parents lined up. You know, to to get their kids vaccinated, and same with, with the measles vaccine. So I think part of the problem is that even as clinicians, you know, most of us have not seen, you know, serious cases of measles, uh, where if it did not kill the child, it, it left them blind or deaf or sterile. Uh, you know, and so it can be a lot easier to say, you know, I really don't want to give my child these vaccines because you haven't seen the devastation that that causes these. Uh, you know, diseases. We, measles we is, is the most virulent disease you know, known to humankind. When the British uh, sailors went to the South Pacific in the 1790s, they wiped out 90% of the population simply with the measles. And, and so it, it is a quite deadly disease. So let's, let me, and to, and to me, at least two, for my children, it, you know, it, it's two no. So, yeah, Dr. Ozar, I think far that's as a really great point. Putting them at risk for the.
1: Okay, so I I hear what you're saying. Here's the thing that we need to also point out though. Um, Research is very clear that children who get the flu vaccine have a three times higher risk of hospitalization for the flu. That needs to be pointed out. The other thing is, as far as the measles are concerned, um, we have to keep in mind that by 1963, almost no one had died from the measles. During that year, the whole, the whole part of New England had five deaths, one in Maine, zero in New Hampshire, three in Vermont, Massachusetts had zero, Rhode Island had one. So we're talking about what a horrible disease this is. And look, I'm, I'm not gonna make light of the fact that measles is, is a miserable disease. I'm not saying that it's not a big deal. It's just that people talk about that being so huge. And deaths from asthma were actually 56 times greater that year and the measles and then when we talk Correct. About... and
3: that's and that's because you know we can easily you know distort uh correlation and causation where yes a lot of people that even though they've had the flu vaccine you know may be hospitalized because the majority of people that were vaccinating for the flu are the at-risk people people over 65 people with copd uh, you know, people that are immunocompromised, uh, younger children. So those are the people that would be hospitalized anyway, and even just a, a small amount of the flu or some, you know, coexisting problem could send them into the hospital. So I don't think the, you can necessarily correlate having the vaccine to being in the hospital. And death rates decreased from measles during the 40s, 50s, and the 60s due to things like better antibiotics uh, and, and better supportive care, where the pneumonias that you would get from the measles, because it's not the measles that actually kill you, but the encephalitis and the pneumonias, uh, we were able to better treat those. And even today, that's the one thing that has not decreased our asthma deaths uh, outside of the hospital. And, and that's something that doctors struggle with all the time, and mainly because people use their rescue inhalers until their uh, your receptors are fully blocked. And by the time they get to a hospital when they're in these crises, there, there's not much you know we can do about that. So I agree 100%. So, I mean, even today, asthma when we, deaths have not increased
1: uh, over the
3: last 50 years.
1: When we look at when the measles vaccine was was uh, implemented in 1963, the they had to change it, and a new a new vaccine had to come out in 1967 because they, the studies revealed that that vaccine could cause pneumonia as well as encephalopathy. And so then those were abandoned. But what was significant then was even with the live vaccines, um, they they created a modified measles rash and about half of those injected. So the numbers from that in 1967, right after everybody says that measles was completely, you know, or almost eradicated because of the vaccine. that's that was equivalent to the number of cases of the measles so once they gave the vaccine 48 percent of the people that got the vaccine had a rash and 83 percent of them had fevers of up to 106 degrees after the injection so then we say well wait then i thought measles incidents dropped dramatically after that and in part it had to do with the definition if you had a high fever and you had a vaccine then they're saying oh no that's not measles that's something to do with the vaccine so if we change the definition of course we can say oh there was a huge drop in the incidence and that that's just not a true statement the vaccine actually increased more incidence of things but they defined it differently
3: well it is a a decrease in incidence because a lot of those vaccines in the early days of vaccinations were you know as already stated in the show were live viruses they were either uh, attenuated forms of, of the virus so that they were less very or, or they were actually low dose of the, of the light virus so you were basically you know giving yourself a a weaker form of the measles to prevent getting it in, in the long run so you can't really consider that an incidence of contracting measles because we were purposely giving people measles to you know to develop the immunity and then through you know science and development, we have now developed vaccines. That most of these are simply the antigens, and no longer the the live virus, except in things like the, the nasal flu mist. Um, and so you know that I, I don't think would be a reasonable way you know way to look at that as far as the incidence.
1: It's just the the point is people give credit to the vaccine more more than is accurate more than is accurate to do. Uh, Dr. Yeah, Cainville. and I think
2: we all wish that the vaccines worked, and we we wish they worked 100% of the time, but they just don't, and they're in and, and there's Well, no, they're no, but nobody,
3: I don't know a single physician that claims that vaccines work 100% of the time
2: and, or and 100%
3: it, effective, and that's know, why we're we
2: need, this, you know,
3: booster shots, and everybody's that. immune system is a little bit no, different. No,
2: no. I, I don't completely agree with that, but, but you know, the, the You know, the, the whole spreading of the measles right now is occurring mostly in exclusively vaccinated populations right now. And, you know, we know that Correct. polio. Correct. Because when, at, at
3: no point have, I'm sorry, but uh, at no point has, has anybody, at least yeah, that I, I know of, you know, physicians, say that vaccinated people cannot get measles or vaccinated kids cannot get chickenpox.
1: The difference is they the get the a
3: much, much does. milder form. They get a much milder form. That, that doesn't cause the severe morbidity. And so that could still be transmitted. And that's where the the concept of herd immunity, you know, makes a big difference is that unless there's unvaccinated people where the, where the virus can take hold with full-blown, say, measles or varicella, the herd immunity is what protects us when very few people may just get, you know, a, a runny nose or a headache and not even realize that, that they're fighting off that virus because they have the uh, the immunity and things like booster shots don't necessarily mean that the, uh, that the vaccine's not working it means that we need to kind of amp up the the immune system by by challenging it more than once and the analogy that, that i was taught is especially so like just by DTT, completely immunity, artificially
2: please, immune, boosting it and my girlfriend had a booster shot and ended up with the mumps for two weeks and left you know had to lose work for that and this was about five years ago and you know so you want to give the artificial immunity well artificial immunity is not you know she had to be out for work and it wasn't effective for her and she got the virus and that was you know and that was because right. her doctor at the rare, time recommended I mean, that's pretty rare that, that people develop that. the
3: disease from the vaccine and they have to miss that much work well, you, uh, know, you know if and that's so that, rare I know, is individual, I know someone and i know so a lot they people they have people. different responses but the yeah, and, and that's her stuff, following the generic. recommendation. Why does my child need three three DPPs is to train the immune system to to recognize that particular antigen. And the analogy that I was taught was it's like telling you to go pick somebody up at the airport, you know, and, and the first vaccine is basically telling you, okay, that person's flying in the metro. Well, your chances of finding that person are pretty slim to none. The second vaccine is, is telling you what plane they're coming into and what gate they're coming into. But so now you've got a better chance. And then the third booster is basically handing you the picture of the person, and so you're going to be able to find that person. That's the same thing we're doing to the immune system, you know, so that when, when that antigen comes around, it's able to recognize it and fight it off. And I know you guys have a lot of other callers and stuff yeah, like that, we've, so we've got to get you know. Some more calls, but and we appreciate you. And basically, you, you know, I agree with you 100% that parents need to to do some research and hopefully find a pediatrician that will listen to them. Uh, you know, and if you have concerns about the vaccines, instead of just going straight 100% anti-vaccination, asking your pediatrician to draw titers for some of these things because maybe they've already been exposed and, and have natural immunity to them, but I, I would, you know, hope that they would look at, at both sides of it.
1: Doc, thanks for calling in.
3: So I appreciate you, you having
1: just, me on and uh,
3: and uh, good show.
1: Thanks. You, thank have you a good night. Much. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to your weekly checkup. Uh, the phone lines have been blowing up. We obviously are not, uh, we're not going to be able to get to all of the calls tonight. Um, if you do have some, uh, if you do have any questions, feel free to uh, email those or tweet them, um, and you can email those through our website at yourweeklycheckup.com. Um, so far, you know, I, I certainly hear what people are saying. I think that it's important that we, you know, point out that we've got to what people people seem to be very extreme one way one way or the other, and I think it's important, like from the VAERS website, um, there's a huge list of reactions and symptoms, and, uh, and, and people aren't – I don't think people are paying that much attention to those. I mean, if you pull the labels from the vaccines, ask, ask them. Say, hey, I want the insert. I want to see, you know, what's going on. Um, let's take Michelle. Uh, Michelle's listening from Pennsylvania. Let's, uh, let's put her on the air. Michelle, welcome to your weekly checkup. Hey, how are you? doing great thanks for calling we're short on time so go right ahead with your question or comment
4: okay um well I don't remember your co-host name what was what was your name Dr. Dr. Kramer okay um, so you said that you are not completely anti-vax so I was just curious as to um, I assume that you have children if you have done any and if so which ones and why
2: you know, right now, we have not done any vaccines, and we're not currently planning on doing that, any vaccines at this point in our life. Um, and that's because I've met people in my office that come in that have had shared some of the most horrendous stories of their children being injured through vaccines. And I've sat and wept with these people after their children have been vaccinated and then been injured. And that is a very, very sad thing to see. And especially since we're not traveling abroad or anything time soon, I don't want to impose my child to anything harmful. We do all these things to prepare for, to take care of this little human being, and I do not want any side effects from all these chemicals being introduced into the bloodstream. Especially when the the vaccines right now, I'm, I'm not nervous about my child having any of those conditions at this point in our lives. So that's why, but I'm not anti. I do think there has been a good place for them. I just think that they're overused and overabused at times.
4: Okay, so um, do you, I know a lot of people who are anti-vax have a, like this major problem with them completely and um, they tend to not want to see like both sides of the picture. So I'm assuming that from what you said, You're not saying that, like, there's a never or, um, like, that it's, like, a really strong line for you. You're saying that, like, you have given sway and that um, you do see how they can be beneficial at some point in in our life.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point. I mean, I'll else they wouldn't be around. There's There's got to be some good to it, right? But I think that right now that the the vaccines over the years have changed. The ingredients have changed. There's never been a double-blind placebo study on a vaccine ever to prove in its effectiveness. So I want to make that really super clear. So they go... They can go and do these vaccine studies a lot of different places, but there's never been, again, I'm going to repeat this, a double-blind placebo study proven to say that a vaccine works. It just, it just hasn't. And if anything, they've come back and said, yo, you know what, we, we've tried that one and it's not working. Or this year's flu shot strain's not right. Oh, I guess not. You know, it's like the same thing that they could did with the VIAX when they spent billions of dollars on the VIAX and sold it and then said, oh my gosh, it doesn't work. So I just don't trust that system especially if they can do that so i want to limit the exposure to that especially for the people i love
1: i would also point out that the u.s has one of the highest infant mortality rates in the developed world yet our infants are given american infants are given the greatest number of vaccines 26 doses of vaccines by the end of their first year 101 by the end of their sixth year well six doesn't matter for infant mortality rate um and so when we look at um you know when we look at that, I mean, I think that's worth I think that's worth pointing out, if nothing else, that, uh, you know, we're giving more than any other country, and we have one of the highest infant mortality rates. I, well, and I think that needs to be mentioned.
2: It definitely does, and the blood-brain barrier does not form in a child until they're of one year of age, and that's in a really important aspect because, you know, when you take your, your kids and they want to give you the... F- the shots at four months okay and my pediatrician that i use she recommends delaying them all and she is a medical doctor and she recommends delaying them all until after a year if you're going to do that because you want to create that blood brain barrier so that if there's something that they make a bad batch of a vaccine because guess what that happens and all those doctors that were on the show would agree with that because we were in the same conversation that there's never a hundred percent no side effects or problems Guess what? That bad batch, if it gets into my child, I'm going to be pretty upset about that. And then there's no blood brain barrier. So if you're going to, if someone chooses to do it and they want to do it, I would highly recommend a delayed schedule.
4: Okay. Now, um, I think things are probably a little bit different in Pennsylvania than what's mandated in Michigan. But um, for us, I know that there has recently just been like this really heavy um, push for kids to get vaccinated against diseases that are like daycare diseases um you know you're talking like your um diseases Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. is that the same there
2: no in michigan we have the right to say by religion or choice that you don't have to do it and in your daycare you don't have to do it as well you just have to sign a release form at least that's what it is in michigan
4: okay all right um do you have any i mean we're pretty anti-vax um for us but i know um you know, I have gone through a lot of these things with my parents just talking, and, and I do think that our generation tends to be a little bit um, obnoxious when it comes to these conversations um, because we haven't seen the, a lot of, like, the MMR and the, um, and the polio in particular. And so to really understand, it kind of seems like we, like we haven't seen it firsthand, and so we kind of walk into it blind when we make our decisions. Um, And then, um, you know, a lot of times we say, well, we don't want to get our kids vaccinated because um, we don't agree with vaccinations in general. But um, I do think that it is something for our generation to be able to take a step back and say, hey, you know what? We are making this decision, but we're not saying that vaccinations don't have their place and haven't had their place in history. Um, And I think that that might like just kind of help ease the tension between um, people who choose to vaccinate and people who don't.
2: Yeah, and I, I do want to point out that polio was 95 dem- percent diminished in incidences before the vaccine. So that's a big, big thing that is like a, a big um, a misunderstanding that people have because they always talk about the polio vaccine. But it was 95 percent diminished when the vaccine was introduced. So that's a point. I would also point. point
1: out the same with measles. I mean, according to a, an article by Dr. Suzanne Humphries, who's an MD, she's ta- she says that uh, her quote is, in the case of measles, the death rate had declined by almost 100% before the introduction of the vaccine. So, Michelle, you're right that we haven't seen those things, and I think it's fantastic that we haven't seen those things. I think that, that the logic is very flawed, though, when people are saying... Um, well, the vaccine was introduced, and the and, and and now look, we don't have it. Well, I mean, those are true statements, but they're not necessarily related. And so, um, I think that's worth pointing out. I also think it's worth pointing out that, um, you know, even currently, the CDC has an Afix program, and the I and the Afix stands for incentive, um, and they talk about. Uh, I mean, they're they have awards and and plaques and parties for. Positions and offices that, that promote the most amount of vaccines. I mean, there's a lot more to it than, you know, people, I think, than people are acknowledging. And I don't think that, I actually don't feel like, at least at the clinical level, I don't feel like people are being malicious. I think they're just doing what they were taught to do. And what we're encouraging people to do is say, hey, ask the question, are vaccines still contributing to the greater good? If they are, then you need to look at them but you have to look at it objectively you have to look at the data you have to you know you i don't think you can look at a picture of a kid with measles and say oh my gosh i don't want that so i'm just going to go inject whatever they say i need to inject you have to look at it and ultimately parents i think it comes down i think it comes down to this question and this is this is a very personal scary question it's going to it's going to i think hit pretty hard but the question that i think you have to ask yourself is if my child, the worst case scenario whether I vaccinate or don't vaccinate is that one of my children god forbid dies. Okay? That's the that's the absolute worst case scenario and that would be that would be awful, okay? The the question is, if my child dies because they couldn't handle, they didn't have an immune response and couldn't handle it, how would that compare with my child being permanently disabled or dying because I chose to let somebody inject them with something. I think that's the question that you need to ask. Do your research. I want to thank everybody for calling in tonight, for being on the show. Um, Send us messages uh, through yourweeklycheckup.com. Again, our number is 866-521-9355. On behalf of our teams in Ann Arbor and Troy and our team at WMUZ, we'd like to thank you uh, and all of the listeners and callers. Thanks so much for calling in. We'll look forward to being back with you next week.
2: God bless. Yeah.
0: takes this time to honor God and country, a moment of spiritual reflection and a tribute to America.
4: When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, he had some pretty revolutionary ideas. Looking back on it, it's easy to side with him now, but if you'd been there, would you have been such a supporter?
1: Things that make you go, hmm.
0: Your Crawford Broadcasting Company, God and Country Station. This is your Crawford Broadcasting God and Country Station, 103.5 FM, WMUZ, The Light. Is your family life and your marriage everything it ought to be? I'm Bob Lapine from Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey, inviting you to join us throughout the week as we share practical biblical help for your marriage and your family. If you want to get the most out of your relationships at home, tune in weeknights at 730 for Family Life Today. Here on WMUZ 103.5 FM, the light. WMUZ Detroit in Crystal Cool.